0: but time to go. He crouched in the boat, steadying himself against the sudden tilt, and hefted the backpack onto his knees. He checked the mooring rope again and then swung the heavy backpack slowly onto his back, struggling to keep his balance while he secured it. He put on leather gloves and reached for the ladder, testing it, feeling the scabrous paint rubbing off on his leather gloves, and then hoisted himself up onto the rusty rungs in one smooth motion. He steadied himself on the first rung, getting his balance, getting the feel of the pack, and then began to climb. The ladder swayed a little under his weight. Some of the bolts holding it to the concrete pier had rusted away. It was an old bridge. Forty rungs later, he reached the first steel platform and pushed his head through the open trap door through which the ladder was suspended. He was puffing a little, but his heart was still beating faster more from excitement than fatigue. The pack caught momentarily on the edge of the trap door, but he turned sideways and squeezed through. Once on the grating of the platform, he rested, sitting with his knees up, his head forward to balance the pack. He could really hear the river up here, an incessant slushing noise echoing off all the concrete and the steel facets around him. He checked his watch again and then sat there for another minute until his breathing returned to normal. Time to go, he told himself again. He heaved himself up off the grating and made his way around to the other side of the platform, to the second ladder. Climbing purposefully now in the darkness, he climbed the final thirty feet up to the main girders supporting the trackbed structure. The ladder continued up the side of the trussed arch. He stepped off the ladder and then swung the pack off his back, laying it down carefully on the grating, making sure it was not going to roll off the edge. Leaving the pack, he walked ten feet along the platform toward the junction of the arched truss and the main horizontal girders of the center span. He found the short ladder and climbed down to the ledge under the track bed where the truss pins were. He knelt down and felt along the steel in the darkness, running his gloved hands over silver dollar-sized rivet heads until he found the pins. He reached into his vest pocket and removed a slim black metal flashlight, pointing it down into the space between the pin housing and the truss girders, and switched it on. He saw the cavity he was looking for. It matched the plans. He switched off the light and climbed back up the ladder. From where he stood on the catwalk, the shining steel of the westbound track was level with his face. He reached forward and hefted himself up to the track level until he was standing astride the westbound tracks. He faced west and experienced the premonitory tingle of dread everyone feels when standing on a railroad track, the gleaming rails pregnant with the possibility that a train might loom out of the darkness or was coming up even now unseen from behind. He stepped across the tracks and hopped down onto the pine board catwalk between the track beds. The planks reeked of creosote and engine oil, and he was surprised at their flimsiness. The river below remained invisible, but as the cool, wet air rose between his legs, he visualized the hundred or so feet of space between his perch on the catwalk and the swirling surface below. He clambered back over the tracks and swung down to the outside catwalk to study the structure. The center span, trackbed support truss, was attached to a pier tower at each end. It was nearly 200 feet long. The overhead truss arch was constructed of a heavy steel vertical lattice on the upstream and downstream sides of the bridge, woven together with a lateral truss structure across the top. At the base end of each truss, well below the track bed, were two massive steel boxes, one on each side of the tracks. Each box had a 12-inch diameter hole drilled horizontally through the center. Passing through the hole was the main truss pin, a foot in diameter and five feet long. The pin ends penetrated the box on either side and were secured in a saddle mounting which in turn was bolted to the concrete ledge on the pier tower itself. The descending side girders of the arch were supported entirely by these pins. Each saddle mounting was nestled in a concrete cavity cast into the inside face of the pier tower. The entire structure looked as solid as Gibraltar, but he knew that the truss could actually flex on its pins, expanding and contracting in broiling summer heat and icy winter air, and also when the weight of a train deflected the center span. These massive river bridges were alive, and while they looked solid, they were flexing all the time, in infinitesimally small degrees.